0: I would imagine that across the United States today, there are people who are remembering today's date, September the 11th. And uh, we certainly do remember that date when one of the greatest tragedies on United States soil happened. Many people lost their lives. And our rescue workers, firemen, police in New York City came to the rescue of so many people. And we do remember that day. If we ever be burned into our mind and into our history. So we do take some time to remember that. But may I also remind us this morning that our reason for meeting is to remember the cross of Christ. I am afraid that many today, sadly, would rather wrap themselves in the red, white, and blue instead of the precious red blood of Christ. So today, we remember. We remember our history, and we remember what happened. But today, our primary goal and task is to remember what Jesus did on the cross and my rising from the grave. Amen. So today's sermon is, uh, hopefully you've read ahead a little bit, um, is entitled Never to Be Left Alone. And we'll circle back to that at the very end of this chapter uh, today and very end of this sermon. And as you, if you read ahead, you'll know that today's sermon will deal with the difficult uh, topic of divorce. In an article written by Paul Friedman from the Marriage Foundation, he stated this, he said, Through my experiences as a divorce mediator and now a marriage healer, I've come to two monumental conclusions, both are which they are provable beyond a doubt. He said, Number one, no children escape from the pain and far-reaching burdens caused by their parents' divorce. Secondly," Saving your marriage is much easier and much more realistic option than people think. He continues on. He says, Everyone that I have ever spoken to, that I have ever spoken with, expressed regret at having gone through with the divorce because of the negative effect that it had on their children. Not one person told me that it had been worth it. A study of divorced couples with uh, preschool children shows that within a year's time, 60% of the men and 73% of women feel that they made a mistake and that they should have tried harder to make their marriage work. Now, you might be here this morning. and you have, Your spouse might have gone on to be with the Lord. You might be single. There is a word for you today as well, for you. People have no idea the anguish and stress that is caused by divorce and and separation. And so if you read ahead of Deuteronomy, you know that's where we are today. We are embarking upon this controversial topic. This topic has caused so much tension over the years. It has caused tension in ministry uh, because who can serve in ministry as far as As those who have been divorced, can a a deacon serve who has been divorced? Will a minister marry a couple that has been divorced uh, before? I will say this, that some of our, our most loving and our most serving deacons who serve here at this church have been people who have been divorced before. In fact, the verses that we would look at as far as in Timothy 3, for that of a deacon, would be that this... Deacon is a one a one woman type of man. They are faithful in their marriage now, so we 're going to talk to the here and to the now we 're going to talk to the here and to the now and how to move forward all right, so with our Bibles open, this topic of course will deal with divorce and the end goal that I would like to uh, hopefully achieve today is track through. The uh, trajectory of Scripture uh, beginning with Deuteronomy and ending with the letters. We're going to look at the words of Jesus. We're going to look at the letter of uh, the Apostle Paul. And we're going to see how the trajectory of divorce is displayed uh, through the uh, canvas of Scripture this morning. So if you will, let's stand together with our Bibles in hand. Deuteronomy chapter 24. I'm going to be looking at the first four verses. This might seem to be an oddity to you this morning, but it can't be as much as, as an oddity as it was last week. Amen? And so, today we're going to look at uh, what the Bible says about divorce. Let's begin verse 1, chapter 24. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house... And if she goes and becomes another man's wife and the the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if this latter man dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away may not take her again to be his wife after she has been defiled, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Lord, we ask you... Bless this word before us today. Let us not just read Deuteronomy in a vacuum, but let us read it through the canon and canvas of Scripture. And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. And So as you can see, the natural flow of the text in Deuteronomy doesn't allow an expositor to sidestep hot topic issues or issues that need to be addressed And so we don't, as preachers, don't want to look like sellouts and punks by skipping over difficult passages when we're working through texts such as this. In Deuteronomy 24, the main controversy in this verse, contrary to Western culture, has much to do with the man of the house or the husband and his possessions. Yes, the way that this culture operated in this ancient Near Eastern culture was that the wives of those days were the husband's possessions. Now, and we know in today's culture that this type of cultural stigma would never fly in today's in today's culture, even, even though that somehow the culture we live in today thinks that we are so advanced in our knowledge that those people in the past are just old some old. Uh, dumb, ancient people who knew no better. They were smart people who lived in the past. Moses was writing in Pharaoh's court. These were people who were smart. In fact, the Apostle Paul, if you were to lay out his PhDs, he would have at least a, a double or a triple PhD in today's standards uh, or in seminarian uh, standards. So these are people who are, not, who are not dumb, they are not stupid. But I will tell you this, we have the same struggles that they have and we have today. We have the same struggles with human brokenness, human brokenness, sexual brokenness, the same things they deal with, we deal with today. So our goal is a fairly simple one in theory. But we will travel through the Testaments to see what Jesus stated of divorce and the apostles. But first, let's start with Deuteronomy. Let's take this verse by verse and unpack a bit of it the background, and then we'll move on into the teaching of Jesus, and then we'll move to the writings of the Apostle Paul. One of the first things to remember is this: before we begin in Deuteronomy, this is um, some parameters that are set for the Hebrew people before they enter into the Promised Land. They aren't there yet. Okay, they aren't in the Promised Land yet, and the goal of the Hebrew people through through the Lord God was that these people would be a light to the nations around them, that they would be so pure in their actions of following God and loving one another that they would draw people to want to know more about the God that they serve and become a God-fearer and the worshiper of, of Yahweh. These are instructions given to a people on how to live in peaceful shalom, peaceful community who loves and worships, ...and obeys Yahweh, loves, worships, and obeys God Almighty. So, if I was to put a subtitle to this underneath, never to be left alone... ...I would say to our husbands and wives in here today... ...I would say, husband or wife, shield your home from sin. And this would be far more reaching than just husbands and wives, anyone in here. Shield your home from sin... In fact, number one, verse one says, and a man takes a wife and marries her, if if uh, she finds no favor in his eyes, because he's found some indecency in her, and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, she departs out of that house." So we'll stop there for a moment and talk about this verse. And by the way, if we travel before we before we raise our hand and say, "Hey, how about the hus- how about the husband?" Uh, that comes later. <laughs> That will come later as we travel through the trajectory of Scripture. The husband will be, counted, uh, will be held accountable. In fact, even in Deuteronomy, he is held more accountable, and we'll find out how. It is a serious commitment when a man takes a wife. This is another indication in Scripture that the husbands are, are the primary protector They are the primary spiritual navigator for the marriage and family. They are are the spiritual head. They are the one who are to be protecting the home. They are to, to be the one that are navigating through Scripture. They are the one to be navigating how this wife ought to be an image bearer of God and a worshiper of God and somehow maybe the reason that this wife has gone the the wayward way is that the man was not protecting his home and being the spiritual navigator in his home. And so, a man asks the father of the bride and if he can marry his daughter, he is engaged to her in Hebrew culture. Uh, the, the um, This engagement man was like, uh, it was held in high esteem. It was, in some regard, in some way in this culture, it was held just as high as the actual marriage itself. They celebrated this union of husband and wife as the, as the way that God had designed marriage at the very beginning. Um, people would say that Jesus never addressed this idea of, of husband and wife and male and female, but He did. He mentioned it in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that God made man in His image. What God has brought together, let no man tear apart. So they celebrated this union of husband and wife that God had designed. But over time, this sinful flesh caused the husbands or the wives to stray in sin. And sometimes this leads to infidelity. Now, one might say, well, exactly what would be the the incident? The incident act leads commentators, this indecent act, would lead some commentators to say that this was adultery or infidelity on behalf of of, of the woman. But think again. Maybe if the man was being the spiritual leader of the home, it would never have gotten to that that point. Now these are things that we imply within the text, but later on in Scripture we'll see this unpacked a lot more. The husbands were... Uh, was then they were allowed to give the wife a, a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, before we move on, what we want to do in this verse, as we parallel this, what we want to do, we want to read the words of the Lord Jesus. Okay? So I hope you have your Bible with you because these words are not on the screen for the particular reason that we want to handle God's Word. If you have an electronic device, that's cool too. Hey, I get it. I read from my, uh, my phone all the time. But I want us to begin the practice of navigating through Scripture together. So, Matthew chapter 19. Now, these are the words of Jesus, and this is His teaching upon divorce. The Pharisees and Sadducees come up to Jesus, and they're trying to trap Jesus in some enigma, some puzzle that He can't wiggle out of. And Jesus, I mean, He's the Word in flesh. I mean, He is God in flesh. And you're not going to trick Jesus. You're not going to be able to trick God. He can see the intents of your heart. And the Bible says in verse 3 of chapter 19, the Pharisees came up to Jesus and they tested Jesus. They tested him by saying, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Well, have you not read that he who, who created them from the beginning made them male and female? So, hey, he's pointing them back. This is God's design. The male and female, man and woman, should be together. And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer uh, two, but they are one. And get this, whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, they came to him, hey, uh, we we got him on this one. We got you on this one. They said, why then did Moses... Command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away. And he said to them, it's because of your own hard-hardness that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. Now, we want a full-orbed teaching of this as we travel through Scripture. We chart back through Deuteronomy, through the letters of the New Testament, and we conclude... That the plan for marriage was that the husband and wife stay together. But we know that that does not always happen. In the world that we live in, you know, I've had people who would come up to me, you know, and would talk about how their husband have been abusing them, Hey, or vice versa. Hey, whether we believe this or not, sometimes wives will abuse their husbands and beat on them, okay? And so here's the thing. um Use common sense. You know, don't hang around. If, if your husband or your wife is beating on you, chances are they're not an unbeliever. They're, a, they're an unbeliever anyway. And we'll talk to that a little, bit, a little bit more in the text. Verse 42, here's the wife again. If she goes to another man, uh, to becomes another man's wife, and the latter man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce, and he puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, or if the latter man dies, who took her... To be his wife. So i will just to stop there for a minute. Okay, the example here is that is the wife is the wife in the marriage, okay? It is evident here there is something off with her commitment to her husband and to the holiness of God. In other words, the woman here displayed in these verses is a person who is promiscuous or who bounces around from bed to bed or marriage to marriage. And, and by the way, that can happen uh, with husbands too, okay? The example here is that she is guilty, but a husband can be found just as guilty as the woman, as we find in the letter uh, to uh, Timothy that speaks of the man becoming and being a husband of one wife or a one-woman type man. Remember, this culture is an ancient Near Eastern culture, and the men are to take the reins in their home, just as today. The men are to take the spiritual reins in their home and make disciples in their home. Do you know that Jesus left to command in Matthew chapter 28? It is not just for men. It is not just for women. It is for all believers. And this command is to make disciples. And that is not an option. And if we are not making disciples, if we are not making disciples for those around us, then we are, we are in disobedience. Now... Pull that into your home. The men were to take the reign of their home. But what I want us to do is look at the words of the Apostle Paul. So this could be a Bible drill of sorts, if you wish. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, right around verse 10. This is the words of the Apostle Paul. Taking this a step further. Paul says this. The church at Corinth had a lot of problems. They had a lot of relationship issues. If, If there was ever a church in Scripture that showed its sexual brokenness, I believe that the church of Corinth would be at least in the top three. So here we go. In verse 10, let's read from there. First Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, the, the words of the Apostle Paul to the church of Corinth. To the married I give this charge. It's a command. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does... She should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Okay, we're not going to stop there, okay? To the rest I say, if it's not I, the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. So, what do we conclude, at least from the outskirts of this trajectory of Scripture? Deuteronomy 24 and verse 4 speaks to the former husband, sort of as what we find in Corinthians, who sent her away. He may not take her again to be his wife. She has been defiled. That is an abomination before the Lord, and you will not bring this sin into the land that the Lord is giving you. So if you bridge these together, if you bridge Deuteronomy 24 and you bridge the words of the Lord Jesus, and if you bridge the words of the Apostle Paul in Corinthians um, chapter 7 at verse 10, the practice of divorce is one thing that the Lord did not shine too favorably upon. During this time when the Hebrews were about to go into the land of promise, even then the the practice of divorce was, was rampant, it was, amongst the Israelites. Even at this early uh, era of history. We began to ask ourselves, at what point in history did the Hebrews begin to pick up such, such practice as this? Of casting their wife off as if they are a, a load of dirty laundry or something. Well, they picked up this practice as they were slaves in the land of Egypt. Later on, if we travel through history, we find some of the same similarities amongst Greek culture. To make a culture totally Greek or to try to influence everything in culture to make it Greek from its marriages to its practices to its laws to the worships of their idols and gods, we would call this the act of Hellenization, making everything Greek. In church history, in Greek culture, in fact, was the similar fashion of divorce from the wife just like it is breathing. If your wife burns water in a pot, hey, divorce her. If she had all mitts matching clothes, hey. Divorce her. You can literally walk by your wife if you didn't like the way she looked that day and divorce her and tell her to get out. That is Greek, that is Greek culture, and that is not the design that God had for, for marriage itself. So the Lord is trying to direct over through history the value of working it out, if you can, staying in the Lord and centering everything, your marriage, your children, in the precious word of God and in the Son Jesus. Now there were two conditions in Deuteronomy 24 that are mapped out for us. Number one was the act of divorce was to be certified or a written document but with the goal of reflection and repentance. God has always had it ingrained in His word and for His people and for you and for me to reflect and to repent. Secondly, In the occasion of the divorced wife being married to another husband, she could not, on the termination of that second marriage, be restored to her first husband, however hopeful he might be to receive her. And so in Deuteronomy, they're about to go into the promised land and they are to, at least outwardly and inwardly, represent this persona of cleanliness and purity to attract those who are looking looking, looking in on them. The Bible states that she is defiled and not to be taken back. And this means that her consequences for her actions, or his actions in fact, are threatening her very livelihood. Listen to what the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. As we know around the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, Well, you heard it taught this, I tell you this. You might have heard this taught in Deuteronomy from Moses, but let's take it a step further. Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 31, it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. It was said that in Deuteronomy, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So it is clear in Scripture that the Lord would rather married couples stay together because it represents the union of Christ and His church. Now I know there are some divorced people in here, and I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying to look back at your past and and leave out of here laden with guilt. As I said earlier, we are building the foundation from this point on. According to the World Population Review, the number of divorcees per 1,000 population is close to three per 1,000 in 2020. Out of every 1,000 people, three of those marriages are ending in, in divorce. From 2019 to 2022, the divorce rate is right near 44%, and that's, and, and that is on a... A, a scale in the United States, more so than the, than the 1,000. And those who claim to be followers of Jesus, you would say there was 44% here, those who claim to be followers of Jesus mark around the 34 percentile from the years 19, uh, 2019 to 2022. Now, remember this, does not factor into the grand scale of the United States and take every single... A marriage and divorce into account, but it gives us a good idea of the dangers that marriage, marriages face today. We spend a lot of time in the Word talking about divorce, and, and we know it's not a happy thing. You know, I see sometimes people will throw a divorce, a divorce party, you ever seen those? They'll have a, a, a sign, and they'll have cake, and they'll have people over, and uh, they'll throw a, 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 a divorce party. It's not a happy time, and it is not something to be celebrated. But here's what we can celebrate. You want to celebrate today? Let's celebrate something. Let's celebrate marriage now and focus on the intent of marriage. John Piper gives three examples of how marriage is an illustration of Christ and his church, and I think it would be helpful for us to to get a hold of these. Number one, he says, that marriage, well, the image of Christ and the church in marriage is that it lifts marriage... Out of the sordid sitcom images and gives it the magnificent meaning that God had meant it to have. So any television show nowadays that you watch, and this even started back in in the '90s, even maybe even before that, any television show that you watch today will have the husband looking like some bumbling buffoon who can't figure out life situations. Have you seen it? And all of a sudden the. Uh, the uh, the wife will come in to rescue the day instead of them being uh, complimenting one another in the marriage. Now the the wife has to come in and and rescue the and rescue the husband. But the image that we get from a uh, of Christ and the church in in marriage is that it lifts this this image and pulls it away. The husband is not some bumbling buffoon. He is to be the leader of the home who carries the word of God and who trains his home in righteousness, and the wife does as well, as she comes beside her husband, and they lead their family in God's Word. So it lifts it out of this miry clay uh, and this faulty image of what marriage is as it's portrayed across television screens and in media today. So many people today are are attacking the traditional role of husband and wife between a biological man and biological woman. No wonder our children are confused with their identity. No wonder they are confused with their sexuality. They are bombarded with distorted images of marriage and gender. And listen, if I was was in a deep Rip Van Winkle type sleep and I woke up in 2020 and if I looked around at all the things that are happening in our time, I woke up, I woke up, to the way that culture has twisted the intended plan of that God has built marriage and identity and sexuality, I would say, please, put me back to sleep. I would say, put me back to sleep. So, number one, it lifts marriage out of this sordid sitcom image and gives it that magnificent meaning that God meant it to have. Secondly, it gives marriage a solid basis in grace since Christ obtained and sustains His bride by grace alone. The Bible tells us it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not of works. So it is a measure of grace that we must have when we are dealing with everything in our lives, our marriages, our husband and wife. We deal with one another having grace with one another. We don't deserve a healthy and fruitful marriage. But God has given us Hopefully, a healthy marriage or an avenue to pursue a healthy marriage. God has given us a loving family, healthy children. God gave us good families. We don't deserve a loving church family, but God has given us. He's called us to one by His grace. It gives marriage a solid basis for grace since Christ obtained and sustains His bride by grace alone. Thirdly, it shows, this is a mouthful, it shows that the husband's headship and wife's submission are crucial and crucified. That is, they are woven into the very meaning of marriage as a display of Christ and His church, but they are both defined by Christ's self-denying work on the cross, get this, so that pride and slavishness or slavishness are canceled. We're not a slave one to another. We're not a slave one to another. Lastly, the words of the Apostle Paul, he said this. I like to think of Ephesians chapter 5, the end of that, and Ephesians 6 as balance in the home. Balance your home, you bring balance into God's house as worshippers. So he says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. People don't like that today. But if you were to read on just a little bit further, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her the love that a husband should have for his wife, you should be willing to lay your life down. Die for your spouse. Die for your wife as Christ died for the church, that he might sanctify her, cleansing her by the washing of the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blame. So think about this last verse as we apply it to the church. So that he might present himself in splendor without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, Deuteronomy started, or stated that the role of the husband and wife in terms of divorce, but I am a firm believer that the Lord never really fully condoned it. It was because of the people's own stiff-neckedness that He permitted it in a letter of divorce. But even so, it was because of infidelity. Now, we spoke of how marriage is an image of Christ and the church and I'm gonna end on this okay and then we're gonna gather around a communion table together I'm gonna to, I want to, I want to think about this I cannot think of a better illustration of of how the church marriage represents Christ in church I cannot think of any better illustration than that of eternal security in the spiritual sense we are married to Jesus In the spiritual sense, we are married to Christ. We are His bride, and He is our Lord, and He is our Master. The evangelist John had this to say of the position that we have in Jesus. He wrote these famous, well-known words, and I hope that you know them. He said, My sheep do what? They hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them what? Eternal life, that they will never perish, and no one will what? Snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to them to me, he is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. If we are truly in Jesus, if he is our Lord and our Savior, he will never leave us alone. Hence the title of this sermon, never to be left alone. If he is our Lord and we are in him and he is in us, he will never give you a bill of divorce. He will never separate himself from you if you are in him. Somebody say amen, please. He will never take us to court for our possessions. He will never make us sign a prenuptial agreement. He will never try to win our possessions or take us to court. He will never kick us out of the house. Rather, we are his and he is ours and we owe him everything because he did not abandon us when we were in our sinful state. There is not a greater illustration of the marriage between us and Christ than eternal security. We we Southern Baptists, we believe that if you're in him, you will not lose your salvation. I heard it once said that if I could lose my salvation, I would. I don't think there's a greater illustration of this than eternal security. Yes, Deuteronomy 24 speaks of the woman who bounced from bed to bed, marriage to marriage. It reflects a deeper issue of sin and despair within humanity itself. But Jesus is faithful, and he is just to forgive us. The rest of chapter 24 talks about the laws of divorce and the privileges of gleaning the fields, and that's what will show up again in the, in the book of Ruth. Yes, God would rather you not divorce. And I remember uh, giving this example uh, to three married couples. Okay, I promise I'm going to end on this. Three married couples I, um, I counseled. And this is what I said to them. It sounds elementary. It sounds, like you would say, maybe oversimplified. But here's what I said to them. I said, put Jesus at the center of your marriage and you'll make it through. And you know what? They did. One couple today, I said that to them. I asked them, I said... Have you ever prayed together as husband and wife? No, we never thought about that. They put Jesus at the center of their marriage and they made it through. Another couple I told the same thing to. They were struggling with their marriage. Put Christ at the center of your marriage. They They decided to stick it out with one another and make Jesus the Lord of their marriage. And you know what? They were reconciled and they made it through and are happily married today. The last couple I had counseled with them, I said the very same thing. Put Jesus at the center of your marriage. And by the way, not just at the center of your marriage, in all that you do. And I said, put Christ at the center of your marriage. Pray together, uh, read the word together, serve Jesus together. And I gathered the notion from them that we got it, we can do it ourselves. I said, well, let me give you some help. I gave them a book to read through both of them I walked in one Sunday morning and I saw those two books on the corner of my desk and I said, Lord, have mercy, and they were divorced within a year. And you might say, my husband, my wife has been passed on for many years. Well, grab those younger couples, those younger married couples, grab them by the arm and invest in them. If we don't get anything other than the marriage between us in Christ get that eternal security that we are in him grab a hold of that grab a hold of that and be grateful and worship him because of that there are many in here today who have been divorced and as like I said at the beginning there are some of the best servants to the Lord Jesus they have come from previous uh, troubled marriages and I say all that to say this Put Jesus Christ at the center of your marriage, the center of all that you do. Pray with your spouse. Serve with her or serve with him. Maybe you're here today and you had a nasty divorce. Maybe you had a a divorce and it ended very bad. Let me give you some words of advice. Pray for the Holy Spirit to enable you to forgive. Pray that the Holy Spirit would allow you and move you to forgive them. Why? Simple. Because Jesus forgave you. Amen.